Hello and welcome to a very special episode of That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. I'm your mastering engineer, Brandon Yoakum, and today on the show, we're going to hear our host, Ryan Beach, for the first time ever, go on the air with no guest and no planned topic. That's right, this show is raw, off the cuff, and showcases a great deal of vulnerability. Before we get into the episode, I just want to ask you to listen to this show in a very particular way. You don't need any special equipment or space, you just need a listening buddy. Could be a partner, a friend, a coworker, complete stranger, just find someone else and listen together. So, without further ado, here's this week's episode. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Uh, today's podcast is going to be a little bit different. I uh, didn't get anybody to interview. And so I'm just going to talk to you for a little bit. I'm going to kind of share with you a little bit about uh, some stuff I've been uh, going through uh, with uh, with just you know thought processes in general. Uh, do a little bit of Q&A type things. So if, this, if that doesn't sound interesting to you, go ahead and stop listening right now and uh, enjoy your week off of the uh, podcasting episodes and stuff like that. But uh, if you are interested, stick around. Uh, I'm going to thank our sponsor for the podcast, Houghton Horns, and then we'll get into it. Uh, for those of you that aren't familiar, Houghton Horns is a family-owned business in Keller, Texas, and their mission is to spread the joy of music through providing the highest level of products, services, and resources to the brass playing community. As musicians, it's simply a fact that we will be spending a significant portion of our lives with our instruments. Unfortunately, many of us can feel that we are stuck with a bad fit, fighting to get the sound that we want. If you and your instrument aren't getting along right now, Houghton Horns can help. They have an incredible selection of brass instrument makers in stock, including Adams, Bach and Conselmer, Eastman and Shires, Engelbert Schmid, Paxman, Tyne, Yamaha, and more. They even have vintage and consignment instruments available as well. At Houghton Horns, they strive to put service to the customer as their top priority. Whether you are a beginner student, a hobbyist, or a full-time professional, Houghton Horns can help you find what you're looking for. Go to HoughtonHorns.com for more information. All right, so we're coming at you completely raw here. Um, I'm going to try to keep this short. This is actually the second time that I've done this episode because the first time was like 40 minutes long. So I'm going to try not to do that this time. Uh, I just wanted to share with you kind of where I'm at with uh, some things I've been struggling with recently. And um, they all really have to do with social media. Uh, pretty recently, I was talking to Kathleen, my wife. Many of you uh, have at least heard her voice on the podcast, uh, if not know her from her social media stuff. Uh, we were talking about especially Instagram, but social media in general and how I'm just personally, pretty over it. Um, you know, you work hard to create content that you hope people will care about. And, and then it can feel like nobody's paying attention. It can feel like 
nobody cares about it and you just you know you, you do it and then you get like hardly any engagement especially come you know you can be like oh compared to this thing a long time ago i'm doing exactly the same stuff and i'm not getting any engagement people don't care and then you go and look at other people's profiles and you see that they're getting all of these likes and these uh, this engagement and shares and all that kind of stuff and you're like oh my gosh like everybody likes them so much better than they like me and i'm not really about that life you know, uh, I like social media and I like being able to connect, but I don't like it enough that I will let it uh, be a drain on me as a human being. And so we were talking about it. And really what I was saying to her is that um, I just miss genuine human connection. You know, I, it, I, I feel like I can rationally understand that when people like it, that's an actual person liking it, you know, but um that there's people on the other side and that before social media, we would just like talk with people and write emails and you couldn't really like have the same kind of reach that you can perceive, the same kind of perceived reach that you can have now, right? And so this sort of comes into a general conversation that I've been having with myself recently, specifically related to social media is what are the metrics for success? I, I'm a really big sort of believer or fan of this way of thinking and through practicing, right? Through use of the gold method that we've talked about, this is how we can set some metrics for success. You set a goal and then the metric for success is, did I achieve my goal? You set your optimal starting place and then the metric for success is, did I hold this optimal starting place, these good habits that I started with as I go through? The logical progression, the metric for success is, did I apply a logical progression and can I improve that? And then the defined time frame, the metric for success is, did I accomplish my goal in that period of time? And that, then you can just say yes or no in an objective way and then begin to build different systems or learn more about what you need and how long you need it and all that kind of stuff. And something like, you know, right now I'm sort of uh, adjusting my diet and adjusting my training because I want to lose some weight. And so the metric for success for losing weight oftentimes is, am I losing weight on the scale? But that's that's like, uh, this is well known now that that's not necessarily the best metric. A better metric is looking at yourself in the mirror and seeing, well, like over the course of time, especially through taking progress pictures, do I see change? Because, you know, weight can fluctuate through water retention or muscle gain or you know, depending on what time of the day you weigh yourself, stuff like that. And so if you see a general trend over the course of time of like change in your body, well, you know, regardless of what the scale says, you have uh, accomplished some of your goal. And so in social media, what's the metric for success? Well, for virtually all of us, especially, you know, before we really have these conversations with ourselves, it's likes and shares and engagement, Right. We post a picture and then we're saying, okay, like if I get lots of likes, that was a good thing to post. And if I don't get lots of likes, that wasn't a good thing to post. And uh, I really believe like right now I've watched videos of people talking about the changes in Instagram and how many people are experiencing this exact same thing that uh, the engagement is way down and Instagram is changing up how they do things and I basically was thinking to myself, well, I don't necessarily want to get off social media completely, but maybe I should get off Instagram. Maybe I should take all that time I'm investing in Instagram, which these days is not a ton, and put it into something like YouTube where I think my content fits better. And so what I ended up doing was just saying, okay, well, I'm going to 
you know, post on my story something like, well, help me make content. I want to make content and you all, you all care about. And then also, like, if you've enjoyed the the my content, like, reach out, say hey, and stuff like that. And that actually connected me to some people that I wasn't connected to before. And I was like, oh, this is so, this is cool. Like, this is what I've been missing. The ability, even if it's just like three or four people, the ability to have used social media to actually make a connection with somebody. And so, you know, I don't necessarily want to quit <laughs> social media, right? It's And it's not even from a perspective of I feel like I have to do it. Um, I just think that sometimes we go through rough patches. We go through times where we're questioning why we're doing what we're doing. And that's okay. I think it's a good thing to regularly question, am I doing these things for good and healthy reasons? Because I think the way people are, we can slip into doing things for unhealthy reasons without really even noticing that it's happening. You know, the slippery slope is is real. So regularly checking in with yourself saying, you know, and people, a few people said things like, you should take a social media break. Well, the problem is, is it's not that I'm tired of social media and like the grind of doing it. I just felt like it was just like not, I just didn't get like, it just felt like I didn't want to do it at all. Like not like I needed to take a break. And so again, connecting with some people really helped. It actually really helped. And so that's part of what I wanted to share with all of you, just this kind of idea of what are your metric for, metrics for success? How do you determine if the work you are doing is worth it? You know, what justifies your work? Um, again, like trying to use social media to to make genuine connections with people rather than just focusing on likes and shares has been very helpful for me. And so I just kind of wanted to share that a little bit, but also to bring it into terms of the podcast itself, where I've really enjoyed the podcast, but I have produced with Brandon, our mastering engineer, we have produced uh, over two years of podcast episodes every week without missing. And that's crazy to me. You know, that's, uh, I'm happy that we have done that. And the reason, one of the biggest reasons is I was told, I don't know if it's a promise, but I was definitely told through videos or through other types of uh, encouragement that like being consistent is important. Consistency matters. We want to come back regularly. We want to be a part of people's routines all of that kind of stuff. And it will result in gradually growing that if you, you know, if I posted one podcast episode every so often, like the podcast wouldn't grow because people aren't regularly coming back to it. And also you don't have necessarily a body of work that people could find. Well, what I've been finding is not that. I have not been finding that the podcast is just growing constantly or consistently through the production of uh, weekly releases. You know, if it's a well-known uh, brass player, specifically trumpet player, it'll get more listens. But in general, I feel like the podcast episodes are good, uh, but like the numbers themselves don't necessarily reflect that it's growing, right? And so again, if we're talking about metrics of, metrics of success, if I'm focused on the numbers instead of the people listening, it can be, it can feel like nobody cares, and I know that's not true. I hear through the grapevine that 
some people are think that the podcast is incredibly helpful. They really enjoy listening to it. And that really, it actually really helps me get the focus off of things like the numbers and how I'm sharing it and this and that and back onto what matters, which is people. And so um, that's been one of the best parts really about the podcast is not only the connections I've made with all the different guests. You know, I just interviewed Jeremy Wilson for the second time. Jeremy and I have a great relationship. We've been able to connect and spend some time together. I met him through the podcast. I went down to Nashville a number, a few years ago and interviewed him and we just had, you know, we connected. There have been a lot of people that I've met for the first time on the podcast and made these pretty great connections. And that's been amazing. But not only that, I've made connections with people in my audience who seem to really enjoy the content. And I'm really grateful for that. I'm really grateful that people are getting a lot out of it. And so, you know, coupling those two things together, um, one, of the, one of the things I wanted to share in this episode is I would love the opportunity to connect with more of you who listen to my podcast and really uh, enjoy it. So if you're listening to this right now, I would appreciate it. You can do it through my website. You can do it through uh, Instagram or Facebook. You know, all of that's going to be, that's not, you know, that's not spit.com or just searching that's not spit on those platforms. And I'd love the opportunity to hear from you and, and to be able to get to know, you know, where people are listening from and like where you are in your life, if you're in school or if you're in, you know, out of school, if you've got a job, you know, I, I would just, or, you know, you're searching and, and striving for a job and the podcast is, you know, motivating, you know, all the sorts of, there's, I think all sorts of different people are listening and I would, it would be awesome for me to be able to connect with who is actually listening to my podcast and possibly even getting ideas of, of content or guests that you would want me, like help having you where I, I feel like I'm doing okay at finding interesting guests, but I don't know everything. And so it would be great to be able to hear from some of you who no, might have connections to people that, that I don't, that would get me even awesome, you know, I, I don't want to say better, but like even more great conversation and, and to help me continue learning because that's a really big part of the podcast. It's, I definitely want to create a resource that encourages people listening, that gives you as much practical information that you can use to help sort of empower you and your practice sessions and your lives, especially surrounding, you know, music and music performance, but also just interviewing my guests to try to get perspective on how to deal with tough times and how careers evolve so we can kind of uh, understand that sometimes it doesn't happen all in an instant, but uh, we can take uh, comfort and, and like I said, again, be, be encouraged that just because something is not happening, even for myself, something is not happening instantaneously doesn't mean that, it, uh, that I shouldn't you know, stick with it or that it couldn't be something if I believe that, it, that, it, that it's, worth, it's worthy of my sort of time and effort. Um, but I'm just, like I said, I'm learning all the time too. And I'm really thankful for this, this particular platform to do that. The other thing I would ask is, again, if I've heard from people that the podcast is helpful. They really enjoy listening to it. And that's awesome. If you're one of those people, I would really, it would really help me out if you would share it. If you would, you know, 
take a screenshot of the, you know, just the screen when you're listening to it or go through the Instagram and find, you know, whatever, whatever uh, particular interview uh, post that whatever your favorite one is and post about it and, and tag me in it and, and, and just share maybe why it's your favorite one, you know, so other people can kind of connect with what it is that you liked about it. That, that would really help me out just to help continue to grow the podcast. Like I'm not, I'm not only fixated on growth, but I would love, I think it would be great if the podcast could just continue to reach more people and be as helpful for those people as I think some people feel that it is for them. So uh, yeah, I'll continue to work. I'll continue to dive and I'll continue to share. And I'll just ask that those of you that feel it's been helpful, if you would help me out to, uh, to, to share, that would be amazing. And I would really Really appreciate it. So thank you in advance for anyone who is uh, able to do that. Okay, so that's the kind of discussion about just metrics of success and trying to uh, figure out, you know, how we are going to make sure that we're finding ways that can, um, I guess, fulfill us, but just that we're not going to resent the thing that we're doing because the metric for success is sort of stacked against us, especially with something like social media and something like Instagram in this case, where it feels like they're going through some sort of growing period right now. And it seems like it can be negatively affecting some creators, not letting that negative effect affect us and, and what we have to share, I suppose. Okay. I want to move on to this Q&A portion of it. There's four questions that I got on Instagram and my story. So I'm going to try to answer them relatively quickly. Try not to go up to 40 minutes again. question is from my friend Austin Pantsner, the functional musician. I have an interview with him. Let's, I have the thing right in front of me. Austin Pantsner, August 26, 2020, episode 74. Holy crap, that was a long time ago. Um, he asked, where do you see your business going over the next year? Do I have any new goals? So for me, I've really sort of thought big and and broad for a while now with my business you know how could it grow where could it go all these different sort of like ideas that are out there at one point in time I was thinking it would be cool to start a video production business <laughs> and because I enjoy video production obviously through my uh, youtubing and stuff like that and um, where I'm at now with all of that is really trying to just get the tools that I care about out there so really focusing on getting the gold method app functioning in a way that people can use it and experience it and see if they want to use it and then just trying to talk about it have conversations that help people understand how to use it why they would want to use it and then just doing that for a while not necessarily worrying about how I could grow or where it can go but actually just seeing how people use it, how they like it, and then sort of responding to that, to what people actually want versus just pretending that like, you know, that not that that doesn't matter, but sometimes you can get in your head of, like you believed in this idea before anybody knew it was an idea. So you've had to motivate yourself and push yourself forward. But I don't think I'm there anymore. I think understanding 
what it means to other people and if people even care about it, you know. So that's where my that's where I see my business going. I see in the next year just trying to have conversations surrounding practice organization, having conversations that help people understand how we can use practice organization to gain greater confidence and empowerment in our practice sessions, things like that. Uh, any new goals? Uh, not necessarily new goals, but certainly clarified goals, I suppose, in that way. Uh, the next question is from Evan T. Golden. What are efficient warm-up slash practicing techniques? Um, this is a very open-ended question, so it's going to be hard for me to answer specifically. But warm-up to me is as fast or as little time as you need to get ready to go. So that's a Charlie Geyer uh, philosophy that I really subscribe to. Um, you have some people who have maybe these hour-long or longer things that they call warm-ups, and that's fine. Um, I don't really consider though something that long to be a warm-up. I consider that to be more or less a routine that's possibly low enough impact that you know people feel better after they finished and when they started. But to me, to me, warming up is the same thing as warming up in the gym. You know, you would you would you know, maybe do some stretching, you get some blood flowing or whatever, and then you do some warm-up sets to make sure you're not going to hurt anything. But generally speaking, from an efficiency standpoint, you want to get to the actual work that you care about doing relatively quickly so that you're not just, you know, spending tons and tons and tons of time. Efficiency really has to do with time, right? So that's why we're talking about efficient warm-up. My warm-up is two to three minutes of mouthpiece buzzing, five to 10-ish minutes of Chickwood's flow studies, depending on how, what part of the range I get to. And then I'll basically dive into my routine that I have for that day. Uh, but I'll try to pick something relatively low impact at the beginning to sort of help elide some of the work I'm doing in my routine uh, with my warm-up. So that's my thoughts on warm-ups. Practicing techniques, uh, here are... Three practicing techniques. Uh, this is going to be specifically related to if you're building your own routine. Um, if you have somebody else's routine you're doing, this is going to be difficult. But number one, you're going to pick a bunch of extra, you're going to figure out your goals. You're going to figure out what you want to work on, especially like specifically related to trumpet playing, you know, articulation, flexibility, multiple tonguing, low register, high register, these kind of those kinds of goals. And then you're just going to pick a bunch of exercises, you know that will address those goals, right? So if I'm going to work on articulation, pick some Arbin exercises, whatever. When you have that whole routine, cut it in half. Play half the routine one day, play the other half of the routine the next day, and have an A, B, A, B, A, B type split so that you can... Um, so you're not necessarily killing yourself each day. Also... Uh, Doing things every other day means that you'll be working on articulation every day, but you won't be using the same exercises every day. So it really puts an emphasis on making sure that you are uh, working, you're focusing on the skill you're trying to develop rather than just my, sort of what we can kind of get into this. I'm sort of just playing the exercise, pretending that playing the exercise itself is going to be the thing that makes me better, which can be true to an extent, but it's not going to take you to like your absolute best, uh, best levels. So number one, Pick your pick your things. Cut the cut it in half. So you're practicing half the half the stuff you're doing. Number two, uh, practice low repetition. So if you're going to repeat exercises that you've done, don't do it any more than like let's say three times. That's usually where my cutoff is, depending. Um, if you pick a section of an etude, you know, re 
don't repeat it any more than like three or four times. It's just going to really make you focus. It's going to make you develop the focus and the problem solving you need to be able to get more out of the first few repetitions, which is just going to drive the quality of all of your playing higher because you have fewer low quality repetitions. And then the third thing would be, excuse me, the third thing would be to make sure that you're just, I mean, this is related to the gold method. Just make sure that you're not putting off having good habits until sometime in the future. But rather, if you struggle with articulation, find a relatively easy exercise to start with. Pick a tempo that you can go that's that's not challenging and focus more on the development of the skill, making sure that you can consistently articulate now, not in the future, now. And then once you can do it on some sort of easy exercise at a slow tempo, then when you start to pick harder exercises or faster tempos, you have a uh, sort of a baseline level of success that you're trying to maintain as you get more difficult so that you're, you already know what success looks like. You're just trying to hold and maintain that. So number one, cut your routine in half. Number two, low repetitions. And number three, try to find those good habits now instead of waiting for the future. Number three, Joey Moore, what's up, man? He asks, could you talk about piccolo trumpet and how to approach something like the Brandenburg? Yes, absolutely. Number one, there's two, there's two things that I would recommend for the Brandenburg specifically, but just the piccolo in general. Number one, um, you got to learn how to play the piccolo, right? So the piccolo is a small horn, has a little bit of a different approach. And so... Uh, David Hickman, when I worked with him, recommended that I play just really soft a lot and learn how to balance that soft dynamic so you can kind of learn that you don't need nearly as much effort as you might think you do. You just need, you know, the balance of air and chops and whatnot. Um, and once we, like, and, and you know, you want to make sure that when you understand then how to do that, Piccolo playing is basically just doing that all the time, right? Like it's not it's not a situation where somebody is just insanely strong and they can just muscle through and power through everything. It's that they're in that good groove. Barbara would call it sort of a slipstream airstream. They're in that groove all the time, whether they're tired or they're not. So they're basically their technique is good. To me, as, you know, trumpet playing, let's say, but probably all music making is more about maintaining proper technique to drive uh, ability, you know, whether you're tired or you're fresh than it is like, you know, I'm really good or I can, I'm really strong, you know? So make sure we've, we're, fo there's a focus on developing good trumpet. Uh, fundamentals, I guess, or sorry, uh, good, especially, yes, trumpet, but especially piccolo fundamentals. And that's going to be trying to figure out how to do less work while maintaining the sound you want. Number two, just practice the piccolo for like five or 10 minutes a day. I've played five Brandenburgs in my life. Number one was with the Knoxville Symphony. Number two was with the uh, Bach Festival in Spokane, Washington with Gunther Schuler at the time. That was a pretty cool experience. Number three, I did two Brandenburgs uh, on back-to-back -back days in, in northern Minnesota with the Masabi Symphony Orchestra with my friend Ben Nillis. And then I did the, uh, the Brandenburg in Malaysia with the Malaysian Philharmonic. And um, what I learned, the first two that I did, I thought I needed to be really strong. And so I practiced a lot and I was really trying to just build up lots of strength. And then when I got to the actual Brandenburg performance, 
you know, I got tired and it, it went okay. And I just didn't feel strong, you know? And I think I just overplayed. I think I just asked, I just did too much, right? Because I thought I needed to be, I basically thought I need to be able to do way more than I need to be able to do so the Brandenburg is easy. I don't think that anymore. What I think is I need to be able to do exactly what I need to be able to do. And so what are the challenges of the Brandenburg? It's really high intensity. And sometimes you don't get the horn off the face as quickly as you want to get the horn off the face. So first, we need to build up those good fundamentals so that when we get tired a little bit in the Brandenburg, we know how to continue. But then the other thing is, is we need to practice high intensity more than we need to practice long-term endurance. And so to me, I was practicing five to 10 minutes every other day or maybe five times a week. And... uh I was trying to not rest a lot, right? High intensity interval training. And so that was just making it so I was getting used to what it would feel like a little bit more in the actual Brandenburg. And then the final thing is, is for me slurring, I could do it all day long. Tonguing was really difficult. So um, I needed to learn how to tongue. That's a lesson type thing. I'm not going to answer that. It's going to be hard to answer that with any, you know, any uh, amount of helpfulness in a podcast episode. So hopefully that helps. Last question, E. Kim Graham, did you or do you ever suffer from imposter syndrome? And if so, how do you work through or deal with it? This is the question that I kind of rambled on last time and I'll try to be a little bit more succinct. Yes, um, not in the ways, not necessarily in Trumpet because for a very long time with Trumpet, I just had this sort of blind attitude that I could do it and nothing was going to stop me. And the problem with that was, is although I didn't necessarily struggle with imposter syndrome, um, I also didn't, I, there was no humility in acknowledging that there are things that I, you know, don't necessarily know how to do. And so, unfortunately, it led to a lot of struggles when I started to recognize I don't know how to necessarily get better at the trumpet, you know. Um, and I became not necessarily an imposter, but I sort of recognized I definitely have my limitations and I, I need to humble myself. I need to recognize that I have so much left to learn. Even if I've got a job, there's so much. I can't just pretend to myself that I've got it all put together and that I'm um, that I just know everything just because I need to hold up this facade. So, I mean, imposter syndrome has a negative context or a negative connotation. I think the I think a positive connotation is being a beginner, right? So when we're a beginner at something, we don't know a lot, but we want to learn. But And so we need to put ourselves in situations where we have the opportunity to learn. And so let's say it's something like basketball, you know, like if, I, if I'm out there shooting hoops, I definitely feel like an imposter, right? But I don't think of myself as an imposter. I think of myself as not very good because I'm a beginner and I need to just practice. So we need to ask ourselves, well, where does imposter syndrome come from then? How do we have a how do we have one situation where we're a beginner and we feel like, oh, I'm a beginner, I just need to keep practicing, and where we're an imposter and we actually feel like this is like I don't belong here. And I think sometimes it has to do with just comparative issues, right? Like I'm comparing myself to somebody else saying, this person who's better than me belongs here and I don't. So we try to remove the comparison. We try to say, well, like whatever my colleagues think of me or whatever these people think of me, that matters less, a lot less to me than how I'm doing. And am I getting better? And if I'm getting better, that means it does, I'm not sort of stuck in this spot right now, but someday I'll be where I want to be. Uh, I've talked about Ed Cohen 
Uh, he's a, the war, you know, arguably the greatest powerlifter of all time. And he had a, a quote that I liked from a Q&A episode I listened to, which was, it doesn't matter where you start, it matters where you end. And so if we're only thinking about where we start and where we are, and that's sort of the end, every single thing we do is the end, yeah, it can feel like, well, this is the best I have, and there's all these people who know so much more than me and who can play so much better than me. I don't belong here. But if you view yourself as I'm a beginner on at the beginning of this lifelong process of learning, I think it's a different mindset of like, well, of course I wouldn't know. And it's okay that I don't know because I can learn. So um, yeah, I've I've struggled with imposter syndrome, especially at the beginning of podcasting, the beginning of YouTubing, the beginning of uh, you know learning about video production and stuff like that. I just felt like, oh my, there's so much I don't know. Um, but I tried to treat it as, well, if I just learn a little bit, if I have a project and that teaches me I don't know anything about lighting, well, I will learn about lighting then. If I don't, if I have a project that tells me like my audio is all messed up, well, now I have an opportunity to learn about audio and trying to view it that way versus, well, I don't know about audio, so I don't belong. I mean, maybe you are put in situations that are above your you know, where you're punching above your weight class. And that happens. I think that happens in school a lot where you're put in situations where you're being asked in ensembles or something to do above what you're capable of doing. And I think that doesn't really, I mean, I understand why it happens, but it may not be helpful to build people's confidence to ask them to do that. So anyway, uh, long story short, yes, I've struggled with it. And uh, to sort of tie this all together and then end this episode. Uh, I was listening to a podcast episode, the Barbell Medicine Podcast, hosted by Jordan Feigenbaum. He was interviewing uh, Bryce Krawcheck, who operates his coaching business out of Calgary Barbell. He himself is an incredibly strong powerlifter. And uh, like I said, he's a coach. Jordan was asking Bryce, what, do you, like, what did you struggle with when you first started coaching? And Bryce said, imposter syndrome. And he said that, you know, I knew all of the muscle groups and I had taken the, I got certified and I sort of did all the right things. But when I started actually helping people, I started wondering, well, do I actually know enough to actually help this person get stronger or lose weight or whatever their goals are? And they were talking about it. And then Jordan said something along the lines of, well, yeah, it would be weird if you didn't feel imposter syndrome. <laughs> He thinks that if someone walks into a situation fully confident that they have all the answers, that like that person's lying to themselves in some capacity, especially if they've never done it before. So if you are new to something and you feel imposter syndrome, that's normal. Try to think about it more as I'm a beginner rather than I'm an imposter. If it's something you've been doing for a long time and you still feel like an imposter, then ask yourself, am I comparing myself to other people? Is that where I'm getting my determination of once I compare myself to other people and I feel that I stack up well, I will no longer feel like an imposter. Well, if that's the case, like there's always a bigger fish. You know what I mean? Uh, like we're always going to feel like as well as I feel like I play, I listen to someone like Hokan Hardenberger and it's like, oh my gosh, or Sergei Nakarika, oh my gosh, I'm... But if I'm looking at that, like, I will never get there, I feel like an imposter for sure. That's easy to feel. But if I look at someone like Kokon and Sergey as like, wow, they're very developed, but it's clearly possible to do that. That inspires me to try to figure that out. Well, that's a whole different mindset. So I would try not to 
comparing yourself to others be the thing that determines when you do or don't feel like an imposter. Um, so generally speaking, try to keep the opinions of other musicians out of it, unless you're specifically asking. Number two, try to focus on your own sort of growth long-term, uh, especially in your own performance as saying, well, this performance didn't go well. Was it, um, was it representative of where I'm at? So even though it wasn't the best it could ever be, was it representative of where I'm at? And then personally, I really try to focus on the audience when I'm, when I'm performing uh, in that kind of case of a performance, because I mean, we have to ask the question of how many people do we need to like it before we feel it was successful? But if you take the, you know, one of my very good friends, Ryan Sharp told me more than 10 years ago, he said, you know, if you've made one person happy with your performing in your career, you've done your job. The rest of it is gravy. And I thought that was such a cool perspective that I don't know if I have held through all of my career. So again, metrics of success. What do you are? What are you determining? Um, what metrics are you judging yourself by? And what metrics are you using to determine success and performance? And what metrics are you using to determine that you are no longer an imposter? Um, I hope that helps. Um, I'm not necessarily an expert, but I'm happy to share my my opinion. Uh, my wife has written a blog post on. Uh, imposter syndrome. It's on our website, KathleenBCostello.com. So you can check that out. Other people I'm sure have written things about that too. So that's just my opinion. Hope it helps. Uh, that's where we're going to cut it for today. It's, it's instead of 40 minutes, it's 35 minutes. Sorry. Uh, I want to thank you all for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, uh, please consider giving it a rating and a review on iTunes. Make sure to share it on social media. I would really, really appreciate that. Um, I want to thank Brandon for his work on mastering this episode of the podcast. And most of all, I'd like to thank you for listening. Stay strong, be kind to yourself, never stop growing, and we'll see you next time.